five minutes past 6 p.m. We're back live here on KBUT for Community Matters. My name is Christopher Biddle, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Chris Rourke. Hello, Chris. We can't hear you, Chris. Uh, there we go. Here we can hear it. Yeah, that was happening on our end. Hello, Chris. <laughs> hey, Christopher. And joining us right now for an update uh, from Gunnison County's COVID-19 response team, we have Andrew Sandstrom, who is Public Information Officer with the county. Thank you for being with us, Andrew. Yeah, thank you for having me today. So we know that coronavirus is surging across the U.S. and here in Colorado. Uh, here in Gunnison County, we went from almost no cases in the month of September. Uh, I think we're up to maybe more than 20 now here in October. How would you characterize the situation here in Gunnison County right now? Yeah, so we've had 31 positives in the last month. Um, in the last uh, two weeks, we've actually had 22 um, positives. Uh, and we have 101 tests currently pending. Um, with those uh, increases in the positive tests, that does meet one of our indicators for a move to yellow. Um, and we also are at a positivity rate currently of 5.18%. And so that actually meets a second indicator to move to yellow, uh, much like we were in July. Okay. Uh, and I will say that, uh, you know, we as a community came together in July and we did a really great job of getting it back under control. And, and now's the time for the community to act again. Sure. And I just want to clarify for our listeners that you're talking about the the Corona meter system, so-called here in Gunnison County. It's a color coded system um, that indicates risk posed by COVID-19. And there are a number of public health orders uh, associated with each, with each level. Uh, right now we are, are under blue uh, and it sounds as though for the time being we will remain blue, but we may be moving towards yellow and more stringent public health orders. Is that right? Yeah, so we are in the county's uh, blue level right now, like we have been operating in uh, all summer. Um, the state has added a new level uh, or a new health order that, that mirrors much of what our coronameter does and that it moves counties to different levels of risk based on what they're seeing on the ground. And so they're likely we would see a shift in the state's restrictions before we actually would move to a yellow. Currently at the state, we're out of alignment for two of the three metrics that they are looking at. Those two metrics are case counts per 100,000 and positivity. Um, and then the other one that they measure is hospitalizations. We still have not seen hospitalizations here. Um, and so we're in good shape there. The one piece that uh, is hard is that the state's system uh, actually, if you're out of whack with any of the measures, then they want to move you into more restrictions. So like I said, we are currently in out of whack with two of those. And so it's possible that we could move out of the state's protect our neighbor status, which we've been in. Um, we're one of four counties that are still in the protect our neighbors status at the state. So uh, what does that mean exactly as far as what we've seen with capacity? I know we bumped up to 55% for restaurants and, and other venues. Um, if we lose our protect the neighbor status, where do we go from there? 
So the first move, if the state moves us to their safer at home level one, there's a couple of things that would happen. The first of which is our business capacity would go back down to 50% as opposed to the 55 that we've earned through uh, Protect Our Neighbors. Uh, gyms and fitness centers would be reduced to 25%. Uh, and then events would be reduced. Uh, so outdoor events would be 175 and indoors would be 50 um, with the use of the state space calculator. We are still requiring any events uh, over 50 outdoors and over 25 indoors to get a public health approval. So that would change it just slightly reduce the event size and then probably one of the biggest pieces of note uh, that the state has added in their public health order is that uh, there no longer would be allowed to be personal gatherings of 10 or more people and no more than two households at a gathering. Do you see any conditions this winter coming where we would go back to the original safe at home situation? Or, or you're probably referring to the stay at home order and stay as at home, yes. Safer at home. You know, obviously that's what we're trying to avoid. Um, no, nobody wants to go back there. Um, I think that what would, would drive that would be is if we started to see major impacts on our healthcare system. So currently we're still able to, to care for anybody that needs care. Um, we haven't had anybody hospitalized with COVID in the county in months. And so we feel like we're in a really good position there where that was not the case back in March. You know, one thing that you could probably explain to listeners is, you know, when we talk about hospital capacity, isn't it true that it wasn't necessarily all the patients that we could potentially have here in Gunnison filling the hospital, but the possibility of patients coming from other areas? Absolutely. And, and so, you know, some of the metrics that we use in our, our local coronameter system are, you know, things like ability to transfer patients. But if, if, you know, say the Western Slope hospitals began to get overrun, it's very possible we would start accepting some of those patients from other areas. I know currently uh, Larimer County is seeing a huge influx from Wyoming. Mm -hmm. um, I believe St. Mary's is starting to see some from Utah. So, you know, they are getting moved around and, uh, you know, it's possible that we could end up with COVID patients from out of the county. And really statewide, I mean, they're, they're talking about uh, numbers really rising in November potentially and filling hospital capacity. So that could be a reality. Is that right? That is a major concern at the state level. We've seen hospitalizations really increasing quickly. We're, we're pretty much at the level that we were in the peak of March and April. We're slightly below that, but we're still on a very, uh, very steep upward trend. Um, and so there is concern, and then particularly around the holiday season when everyone's traveling, intermingling, um, there's more concern that there's gonna be additional spread. Yeah. I can see that happening. Christopher? And, and, and the, the couple of trends that we've seen in the, the recent positive cases are travel and then gatherings, uh, you know, personal gatherings. And so those seem to be the main areas that we're, we're seeing uh, the virus spreading. Yeah, that was actually going to be my uh, question there. Um, you know, what, what are we seeing in terms of a quote-unquote outbreak? Are any of these cases associated with each other? Uh, are they uh, related to any, you know, areas of risk, such as the senior care center or 
uh, you know, high density areas like schools, something like that. Um, is there anything the public should know about, you know, the, um, those cases in that regard? So, as I said, all the cases are, are associated to either travel or personal gatherings. Um, we are seeing them, you know, spread across the communities. We're seeing them on both ends of the valley. Um, we have seen uh, a number at Western, a number of cases at Western. Um, they've been doing a great job of, of getting that under control, quarantining students. We did see a little bit of uh, transmission among students where they were hanging out at a house or whatever. Um, and then we have seen um, a couple of positives at, at each school in the north and south end of the valley. But again, some of the procedures that were in place, we were able to get that under control very quickly. Um, and we haven't seen any additional spreading in those settings. Um, and so, Andrew, operationally, I just wanted to know, are you going to be holding this Thursday another one of the um, town hall meetings, um, just in case folks wanted to stay on top of this? Yeah, so we're continuing the town hall meetings. Um, that's four o'clock on Thursdays. Uh, we run it via Zoom, and then we also live stream it on the Gunnison County Health and Human Services Facebook page. Um, and I would encourage uh, anybody in the community, if you have a topic that you'd like to hear about or learn more about, send some of those ideas to PIO as in public information office at gunnisoncounty.org. Andrew Sandstrom is the public information officer for Gunnison County. He's talking to us uh, today, uh, giving us an update on the current situation with COVID-19 in Gunnison County. Uh, Andrew, thanks as always for coming on and talking to us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Stay tuned to KBUT Community Matters. We're going to be talking to Ian Havlick of the Crested Butte Avalanche Center in just a few minutes. Support for KBUT comes from Somrac Concept and Structure, a Crested Butte general contractor offering design and build services from drawings through construction to a turnkey finished home. Ben and Kate Somrak are joined by a team who feel fortunate and humbled to help others bring their visions to life and make this magical place a home. Somrak.net. S-O-M-R-A-K.net. It's past 6 p.m. You're listening to KBUT Community Radio for the Gunnison Valley. This is Community Matters. My name is Christopher Biddle. I'm here with my co-host, Chris Rourke. Hello, Chris, yet again. Hello, Christopher. <laughs> and now we are joined by Ian Havlick, who is the Outreach Director for uh, the Crested Butte Avalanche Center. And Ian, I want to double check that I'm getting your title correct there. Outreach Director. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> well, thanks for being Not with coordinator, us. coordinator, director. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, really appreciate the time and hopefully more to come this season, checking in through KBUT and informing our community of what matters. 
Absolutely. Um, and I'm just going to start out with, you know, we're going we're to have a lot of different folks listening to this. Of course, some that are going to be more experienced than others. But for folks who don't know, can you please briefly describe uh, the work that the Crested Butte Avalanche Center, uh, which you may hear us, hear us refer to as CBAC, uh, what do you do as an organization? Yeah, so we are a nonprofit. We've been around for since the early 90s started in a basement and we've just grown grown from there and uh, we basically issue public avalanche advisories daily from november around thanksgiving whenever the snow starts sticking to middle of april when the snow starts melting away and we produce daily advisories that you can check on our website, cbavalanchecenter.org. Um, we broadcast it on KBUT every morning at 8 a.m. And we share that all through um, social media and our website as well. So, yeah, we try to get the word out as best we can. And, and we're not just an organization centered on skiers, but also snowmobilers and snowshoers and Nordic skiers or anyone traveling in and around steep terrain uh, in our, our county, basically. Sure. And one thing that I always think is worth pointing out um, that uh, the Crested Butte Avalanche Center is unique in that I don't know of any other community in Colorado that has something like the Crested Butte Avalanche Center. Of course, there is what the state does. Um, the Colorado Avalanche Information Center. I'm glad that I recalled that perfectly. Uh, nice. But of course, you know, they're working oftentimes a lot more on keeping highways open. Um, and, you know, the Crest Butte Avalanche Center tends to be working, and correct me if I'm wrong, but more for uh, users um, of, of the yeah, backcountry. Yeah, you nailed that. So, you know, we're very unique in that we're community run, community supported. We can't do it without donations throughout the season at our various events. And, and we receive no governmental funding whatsoever. So we're the Colorado Avalanche Information Center. We have a very close relationship with um, their forecast areas are much larger. So if we have a storm that hits the Irwin area and drops two feet of snow, and town gets say three inches, the CAIC would have to issue an advisory with a much broader um, message where the CBAC can say, hey, you know, watch out going over here, go to the western northern portion of our forecast area, the Slate River drainage or the Irwin area, where, you know, if you go Cement Creek or Brush Creek, you know, it's much safer, let's say, sure. in that hypothetical situation. So, yeah. Sure. Um, Chris Rourke, do you have a question for our guest, Ian Havlick? Yeah, I do. Ian, so I'm not a backcountry skier, and I don't really snowmobile in the backcountry. I, I kind of stick close to town, but um, I have reported on some avalanches. And what has impressed me is the immense power in them and how very dangerous they are. Tell us why they are so dangerous and, and really how they get triggered. And I'm, I'm sure you're going to address my favorite word slabs in this explanation. Slabs. Yes, the slab avalanche. Um, 
Yeah. So what's unique about Crested Butte and a lot of mountain communities in Colorado is that, you know, you take a, a, a stroll with your dog just outside the city limits or just outside the sidewalk and you're in avalanche terrain potentially, you know, namely around Crested Butte, the Nordic Center Hill is a big one. And the Crestview Butte Avalanche Center is, works in coordination with the town of Crested Butte to manage that hazard throughout the winter. Um, but yeah, they, these slabs are the most dangerous uh, avalanche that backcountry travelers or even just urban dwellers in a mountain environment encounter. And those form from different storms creating different layers in the snowpack as well as long dry periods where that snow transforms and becomes more sugary. And as soon as that next storm falls on that more sugary snow, you get uh, your slab avalanche. And that is what um, is most unpredictable. And that's really what we focus on at the Crestview Avalanche Center in warning and advising uh, users about that particular avalanche problem but it's not just slab avalanches there's nine different types of avalanches that a backcountry traveler can encounter and we try to educate our users through um, checking the Abbey Center website of what they're most likely to encounter on any given day. So you and, and let me just interrupt you for as a novice reading that I it. love your website. It is, nice. it really makes it very clear for somebody who doesn't even really understand a whole lot of it. You really break it down into very simple um, graphics and, and, and give information that's very easy to understand. Yeah, our aim is to, to issue a forecast any given day that can satisfy and educate a basic user as well as our more advanced um, veteran backcountry travelers. So I think we strike a, a pretty good balance in doing that, which also makes us unique from other more generic governmental run agencies. No knocks on that, but they just have to um, produce a forecast that we can't quite customize as easily as we can. So you have a, um, a more limited use of, of adjectives and verbs. Uh, I've, I've seen some great <laughs> adjectives and verbs show, show up in the Crested Butte Avalanche Center uh, daily reports. And I would say the same thing about uh, the audio version that we air 8 a.m. Uh, in the mornings once the winter really gets going here. Um, you don't really need to know a whole lot about avalanche science to fully understand what uh, what it is you guys are talking about. And, of course, it's great to get um, the meteorological uh, point of view as well because we get a weather forecast. So uh, we are looking forward to starting those back up again soon. Yeah, we are as well. Um, we're busy planning and um, we're excited to, to get some snow on the ground and start doing our thing. Well, as someone who studies avalanche science and is aware of their potential, you know, you, you touched upon a, a couple of things, but what do you want the general public to know? At the most basic level, you know, getting our name out and just making it clear that we are a free resource and uh, to check our website, listen to KBUT, of course. Um, and uh, it, it, this information is out there and it's easily digestible. And 
the goal is to reach as many people and users as possible. So if your buddy you meet at the trailhead hasn't listened or checked the forecast, um, share that with them. You know, I get sick to my stomach when users from out of town, we get a lot of, you know, Midwestern snowmobilers that know our terrain is so good to, to ride. They come out and they don't know the Avi Center exists. And that was a fatality. That was the case a few years back in 2014 on the Kebler Pass corridor. They just, yeah. it was a high danger day. It was a, a day we could have potentially given that critical information to those users. And unfortunately that wasn't the case. So from that moment on, it's like, okay, you know, at least personally, and I know I speak on behalf of the whole Avi Center, like that is what drives us. And so at a basic level, know that we exist and then beyond that know that there's um, more in-depth avalanche courses you can take from various local providers um, that can just enhance that lifelong learning curve and i think you know living in the mountains we all should have some amount of knowledge even if we never get into any steep terrain just knowing where they may live is is key yeah it's great so, Ian, uh, this is something that we've actually talked about for a couple of years now, the increase in users in the backcountry, specifically here in Crested Butte and the Gunnison area, but uh, worldwide, really, as well. We've seen an increase in this sport and popularity really in the past seven to ten years, I would say. Can you kind of explain the evolution of that? As I understand it, it has a lot to do with the gear available for backcountry skiers. Yeah, you're absolutely right, um, Christopher. You know, and this is a long chat we could have that happens around beers regularly among, you know, just users as well as uh, avalanche professionals. But what is the root cause of this? And I think the, the availability and cost of gear, you know, how much lighter it's gotten, how much relatively cheaper it's gotten, those are big players in the rise of popularity. Um, I think social media has a big uh, a hand in the rise in popularity. Uh, I think the Warren Miller and very and Matchstick Production, local Matchstick Productions, ski movies have a big part of that, as well as just people being fitter and stronger and more curious. Um, potentially than in years past. Um, uh, snowmobile evolution is getting people deeper into the backcountry, lighter sleds, more powerful sleds. So yeah, I think there's a variety of factors, but those are the big ones. So, and we've, as I said, we've seen that year over year, but really this year um, in the era of COVID-19, really since the pandemic, I didn't fully realize this, that you know, even in March, we started to see sales of backcountry gear soar. Uh, I understand that there's been a really big increase in the amount of people that are seeking avalanche safety courses. Um, so this coming season, ahead of this coming season, where that's there's a big wave of new skiers anticipated, uh, not only to come here but just across Colorado and into the sport in general. How is the Crest Butte Avalanche Center talking about this? What's on your organization's collective mind uh, when this issue comes up? Yeah, so a couple 
couple things and I'll get to that. What's on the CBAC's mind, what we have to um, work with and our tools, but uh, just a few stats that I kind of called around to collect prior to tonight's interview. So I called uh, the owner of the Colorado Mountain School out in the front range in Boulder and asked him, you know, just to try to get some numbers to this supposed spike in popularity. And, and he shared with me some pretty interesting numbers that as of um, last year, this time, level one, which is the most basic avalanche course education level, level one enrollments were 210. Um, as of today, his enrollments for the same level course are 800. Um, and a, a small, you know, caveat to that is potentially it's not a, a true scientific number, like potentially the market's being pushed to book all these trips earlier in the season because everyone thinks there is going to be this pulse and all the courses might sell out. But, you know, if that's an accurate indicator, we have a big surge of users across Colorado um, to educate. And so the Crested Butte Avalanche Center, with the help of the Gunnison County Metropolitan um, Recreation District, as well as additional support from the Town of Crested Butte and the Store Committee, have given the CBAC some money to work with as far as increasing our outreach efforts. And one of the, those um, things is just creating my position this year. So we'll be trying to do more trailhead days where we're physically present at various Crested Butte trailheads, Kevlar Pass, Washington Gulch, Slate, and Snodgrass, as well as potentially brush or cement. But those trailheads get a little less use. So we'll focus our efforts more toward the popular Kevlar Pass and Slate River corridors, I think, for the most part. So we'll be educating users as they head out. Hey, you know, you have the proper avalanche gear. Do you, you know, have you checked your, your buddies to make sure they're transmitting today? Oh, you know, and then when people return, hey, what'd you see out there? Any useful information to share with the forecasters is huge because that can just improve our next day's forecast. Um, we're going to be hosting a lot of fireside chats and we're, you know, I've been tasked <laughs> with trying to figure out how to do that in a socially responsible way with the pandemic. So I think you'll be hearing my voice on KBUT a little bit more. We're gonna maybe play around with Zoom or call-in or webinar type events. Um, we're gonna be hosting a virtual avalanche awareness night on the 4th of December, that's a Friday, as well as the ever popular uh, Beacon brush up the next day on Saturday, December 5th. It's a totally free event. I think it's pretty cutting edge. I mean, I, th I don't know of any other community that gives a free avalanche um, rescue specific um, day where you just show up, you schedule your time slot and you can run through three or four avalanche scenarios with your, with your posse, your crew, your wife, uh, your husband, whoever you ski and ride with. And so those are some huge things, just to list a few um, that we're going to be trying to
get the word out on. You know, that sounds like really great work that you're doing, especially when you're expecting numbers like that. But the one thing that you can't prevent completely is virtuality. And, and I'm interested in how you work with search and rescue when we do have an eventual avalanche and there is a situation that, it, you know, requires a lot of attention. Right. Yeah. And unfortunately, that hit home very close to home for a lot of us this spring. Um, and, you know, we have an incredible relationship with the Crested Butte Search and Rescue as well as the Western um, State Search and Rescue teams. Um, some of our forecasters are even on those two teams, so you can't get much better than that. Um, so if and when an accident does happen, you know, we'll get the word out and we'll try to get one of our forecasters to the scene to to assist as well as, um, you know, analyze the, the hazard with the search teams potentially heading out. Um, and then we'll also work, you know, very closely with the Colorado Avalanche Information Center forecasters um, to investigate if that is necessary with any avalanche incident. So, yeah, I mean, the community's in really good hands for those inevitable accidents. As hard as we try to avoid, they do happen. So, yeah. Sure. And Ian, you're referring, uh, of course, to uh, the loss of uh, a, a vibrant community member as well as a, um, a friend of the station here at KBUT, Dan Escalante, yeah. who passed away uh, sadly in the spring. And it was a huge impact to the community at a time um that the community was struggling to begin with um and it was it, it was truly a tragic event and we're we're very happy that um the Crestview Avalanche Center is is here to help prevent things like that from happening uh and we have, we appreciate that uh, I want to let folks know that they're listening to Community Matters we're talking to Ian Havlick of the Crested Butte Avalanche Center uh, my name is Chris B Christopher Biddle I'm joined as always by my host Chris Rourke, my co-host Chris Rourke you can call and join the conversation if you've got a question to ask Ian tonight, 970-349-7444. We do have operators standing by, 970-349-7444. Ian, I wanted to ask you about some news that's definitely been reverberating around the backcountry yeah. world. As of recently, we know we wanted to talk about it tonight, but recently there were to uh, backcountry users. I don't want to say what they were using because I feel like that's uh, what they say every time. Uh, they, al they always have to mention that it was a border. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, so, you know, two, two people that were uh, given charges for setting off an avalanche. Um, first of all, tell us what exactly happened there. You know, give us the details around that, that story. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. So I don't think it's, I don't think it's anything to be ashamed of. Yeah. They're snowboarders, but just as many skiers do dumb stuff. As sure. Well, I, so. I just think every time I see that headline, <laughs> it, they, it always I says two snowboarders instead of two backcountry users. I thought that was funny. But no, go ahead, go totally. Ahead. <laughs> no, but so on the West side of Eisenhower pass. So on the Frisco summit County side, uh, two snowboarders midwinter um, were descending just above the Eisenhower Tunnel, and they set off a small avalanche that then 
triggered a much larger avalanche as it ran, something we call like a step down avalanche, and it ended up scouring to the ground and depositing somewhere around 20 feet of snow on a closed service road just above the tunnel entrance. So there really wasn't any hazard of this slide actually going on to I-70 proper, Interstate 70. But it was a close call and the slide did destroy some avalanche mitigation equipment that they use, these towers that are equipped with explosives when it's time to do avalanche mitigation to protect the road. And so these snowboarders that were descending were filming their descent, which is a very valuable tool for better or for worse uh, in the courtroom. And it captured them discussing the hazard and the, the snowpack and um, they were carrying all the right avalanche rescue equipment. So the prosecutors are arguing, you know, they knew the risk. They knew that triggering an avalanche was possible above this roadway, uh, but they chose to go anyway. And I, I, I guess I can understand that potential legal bend to it, but, you know, that's just standard protocol in the backcountry, you know? So that's kind of the controversy there, but it is potentially setting a pretty strong precedent depending on the outcome for future avalanche incidents you know in the public domain whether it injures some other backcountry users or triggers another avalanche across a road and the ramifications for something like this is pretty serious as a backcountry community it, it falls on all of us to be smart, be responsible, and have that um, bigger picture view of like what's around us and what could potentially happen in a worst case scenario. Because if you look up north to our Canadian neighbors on Rogers Pass, which is the Trans-Canada Highway that connects Golden British Columbia to Revelstoke, um, they had similar incidents and the Canadian government cracked down and permanently closed certain backcountry terrain to users to protect the highway. Um, as well as, um, you know, so long story short, this, this is a serious case that, you know, we should all be kind of paying attention to um, because we have Monarch Pass, we have Berthoud Pass, we have Red Mountain Pass, and we have Loveland, just to name a few roadways that are in nice backcountry terrain that ski user, ski and riders use a bunch. They get car bumps up, and, and I think we all need to, to, especially with more users in the backcountry this winter, take another second to decide, you know, could our line impact other users if we were to trigger an avalanche? Are you concerned at all about the impact this would have on uh, folks' willingness to post information about a triggered avalanche? Because I know that that's something that the Avalanche Center relies on a lot. Not only are you, your forecasters, putting out reports, but you're also depending on the community to submit their own reports and photos and videos 
um, and Boy. you know breakdowns of avalanches that are triggered. Are people going to be scared to do that? You know, are they going to be getting in trouble? Boy, that's a great question. Um, I hope not, because I hope that uh, you know it, it should be very clear that any observation submitted to the avalanche center or any avalanche center for that matter um, can be anonymous so it's the information we care about i don't care who it is or what the backstory is or any kind of drama i just really want to know you know where the avalanche was if just the the basic details if that's all you provide that is key information you could potentially save a life so i i hope that these cases they're they're fairly unfortunate um, but it's kind of the state of affairs we live in today um, it's unfortunate that that could be a ramification and i just want to be clear to the listeners that any submission any observation you share with us can be completely anonymous um, and if the media starts knocking on our door, we will be sure to keep that tight. <laughs> sure. So Ian, in a moment here, we're going to be moving to our part of the conversation where we're going to include Roland Mason, who's been working on uh, a project to improve winter trailhead uh, at Kevlar Pass, which is one of the most popular uh, areas for backcountry skiing. It's been an issue bubbling uh, for a long time. There's been a, a bit of a unique solution Um to the issue of overcrowding at the trailhead. Um, but I'm wondering, you know, we're talking again about overcrowding and increase in numbers of people um, coming out there. Does the, Crested, does the Crested Butte Avalanche Center work with um, entities like the Forest Service or the county to develop infrastructure, um, you know, that's not necessarily on the mountain, but, you know, adjacent to or, um, yeah, do you, do you work with those groups at all? Yeah, yeah. I, I would say that the relationship is growing more and more as each season goes by, at least in my the time I've been here, which is eight years. I think when I started, it was kind of a afterthought. And then after a few big winters, especially the 2018 winter, uh, when when you know, the electric, the co-op was needing our assistance and and the county was wondering you know if certain places were safe i think that's just helped grow our relationship so yeah I, we we don't construct any infrastructure but we advise as necessary that those entities you know require Sure. And now I would like to uh, actually introduce our next guest, County Commissioner Roland Mason, uh, who is the only county commissioner not running for election. We have we are very happy to be uh, not covering elections tonight, giving our listeners a little bit of a break. Roland, thank you so much for thank being God. with us. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Chris and Chris. How you doing? Hi, Ian. How you doing? Hey, doing well. Uh, and Chris Rourke, I believe you wanted to ask the first question of Mr. Mason. Yeah, it is good to see you, Roland. I, I was just uh, telling Christopher tonight, I'm so glad we're not talking about the election because I am just so ready for it to be over. But what we are talking about tonight is, um, you know, numbers of people could be increasing in the backcountry. I mean, you live in Crested Butte. Um, you know, when you see soaring sales for backcountry ski gear and a big bump in the number of people, you know, taking avalanche safety courses, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Yeah, I think, Chris, just based on what we saw this summer, 
I think we're going to see something similar uh, this winter where folks are going to, you know, want to get out, recreate. And I think they're going to feel, you know, I think they're going to feel comfortable, um, you know, on our public lands. And even though some of these folks might not be um, as seasoned on the public lands, especially in the winter, as you know, as what we're used to uh, in the past. So yeah, I, I anticipate a lot of uh, snowmobile sales. I anticipate a lot more people at the trailheads um, doing different types of recreation, whether it's motorized or non-motorized with you know, cross-country skiing, snowshoeing. I think we're gonna see a lot of first-timers in the community, in the Crested Butte area, um, in, you know, at the Alpineer asking for access, where's the best place to take our family um, to you know, whatever events they wanna do, which, whether it's snowshoeing, skiing, you know, cross-country skiing, even hiking or walking. Um, that, that bike, I think, is gonna be pretty popular this, this winter. But I think the real, you know, the, the county did just complete um, an, an addition to the parking up at the Kebler Pass. Right. Uh, and what that did is that increased the overall parking capacity by about 45 parking spaces. Um, the, we could, do you want me to go into that right now? I know it's, I'm kind of jumping sure. in. Sure. But what that, you know, what we anticipated um, this summer was, was that the residents that live up there have come, I would say, not in conflict, but they have a, there's residents that live up there that want to stay overnight. Then you have the day users that mm -hmm. want to use it during the day. And how does the county work with the Forest Service and work with both residents and day users on getting that area plowed, making sure there aren't um, traffic jams, making sure that people kind of have an idea of where and how to park um, and, and kind of what the times are around around those those situations. So. <laughs> But certainly with the COVID restrictions that, that are, are still going to persist this winter, perhaps we see more day users because, you know, hotels are going to have certain limitations, restaurants, et cetera. You know, maybe we do see more of those day users that, you know, haul in and haul out. Uh, I, I think we are going to see, I think we're going to see a lot of users and day users coming from the front range. I think we're going to see the, the, the travel not necessarily from the airlines mm -hmm. or for this kind of recreation, but I think we're gonna see a lot of front range folks coming over, um, kind of getting deeper into the, into the back country, if you will, um, for like a two or three night stay. I also feel that, you know, with the uptick in COVID numbers across the country, even in the state level right now, the, I think the hotels are gonna have a, a you know, hopefully not, but it seems like the hotels might have a, a harder time um, with that capacity. I think short-term rentals are still going to be a, a, a good option for a lot of folks because it's one house, one or two families that typically are together, if you will, coming in. And so I think we're going to see a lot of short-term rentals fill up with that, all those folks moving into the, into the trailheads. So, yeah. And then, then we're going to see um, you know, it's, it's up in the air with the ski area. Um, you know, right. I'm really hoping that our ski area can stay open and, and we can kind of maintain the, those protocols that they've put in place. Mm -hmm. If we see ski areas starting to close across the state, not necessarily ours, but if we see other ski areas having to close down for, you know, for COVID reasons, 
then we're going to see a lot of pressure. Yeah, I appreciate you pointing that out because, of course, um, one of the reasons that folks are talking so much about an increase in backcountry skiing is because culturally, with Vail Resorts moving to reservation skiing, uh, it's a totally different kind of uh, experience. Um, And um, you might assume that folks are discouraged from that, um, you know, loss of spontaneity when it comes to skiing, but they can maintain that uh, if they you know, get an avalanche course and, and get all the proper gear and, and uh, make sure that they're safe enough to, get, to head out into the backcountry. Um, so right. I think that that's definitely a, an interesting point. Well, there's plenty of social distance after all in the backcountry. There is. And, you know, another, another interesting fact, um, Tim Baker, uh, I think about a month ago, said that the sales for the Epic Pass was up about 13 or 14% from last year. So I think that just shows that it's, even though there might be some differences this year with getting a reservation and, and, and navigating parking and, and how the buses are gonna work and things like that, it sounds like more people across the country are looking at, at skiing for, you know, as a way to get in, whether, you know, whatever mountain that is, but an increase in passes from last year is pretty significant based on what happened at the end of last year where they had to close everything down. So. Yeah, I just still am, you know, maybe I know you've spoken to this already, but, you know, if we have more people coming, but less capacity and we've, you know, typically struggled with capacity, doesn't that set us up for more problems? It's going to be interesting. I, you know, the Mm -hmm. summertime, I think was un, I think it was unpredictable what would happen this summer, but remember the summer allows people to spread out. So we had, you know, we had great numbers as far as people coming to the to the valley and recreating, but they were also able to spread out over a, over a lot of acreage. They could camp. So this winter is going to be challenging based on the folks that want to come in that might not have made long term reser- you know reservations, uh, pre reservations, whatever. They want to come in and just find a place to stay. It's going to be interesting to find out how those folks get accommodations, especially if we do have to ratchet down the capacity in our in our hotels and motels yeah i mean i i I think it's the gift that keeps on giving in that we have to continue to adapt and and overcome and with changing weather conditions you know certainly it's going to be challenging yeah i agree you know and just something else since we do have ian on here and i'm sure he's aware the avalanche center is is you know i've heard people talk about the issue i think what What's going to be interesting is how to get the message out to the folks that are here for the first time, um, the the new users, because you know there's a yeah. lot of information out there. Yeah, and and just to chime in on that, yeah, um, one other thing I, I've forgotten to mention was uh, we're gonna in an attempt, exactly what you're saying, Roland, to educate the newbie user, new to town, never been here before, um, is install a physical, you know, avalanche danger sign at the entrance to Crested Butte, uh, similar to fire danger in the summer, so that, um, users at, at a very minimum, if they don't know about the Avalanche Center website and don't listen to the radio, if they see that, they'll at least kind of be tipped off yep. uh, for that. And it is adding a little bit of a, 
uh, extra effort on our end as a center to, to be accurate with that every morning or every evening, we're still trying to hash out how that danger rating will be changed because our worst nightmare is, you know, say the danger's at low and then we have a big storm the next day, next, oh, say overnight period. Or a big wind event, not even a storm, just a bunch yeah, of- Whatever it is, yeah, and the danger spikes, like how do we, are we misinforming the public in that regard? And I think it's okay to share, you know, our internal discussions because it's just the reality of the unpredictable, relatively unpredictable um, avalanche phenomenon we deal with and live with. So. That's a, a big tool hopefully we can put into action at least to help that, that exact thing you're talking about with new users. Um, I want to let our yeah. listeners know uh, we, we, we have about seven minutes left on our time on Community Matters this evening. We're talking with Ian Havlake of the Crested Butte Avalanche Center. We also have County Commissioner Roland Mason from Crested Butte on. My name is Christopher Biddle, joined as always by Chris Rourke. Uh, we don't have any time to take any listener calls, but there are a couple of things that I wanted to make sure that we covered in this show. Um, because this is an issue that is uh, certainly occurring here in Gunnison Valley, and we're talking about an increase of uh, popularity in the, the backcountry use, both in the winter and summer, really. Um, yes, it's happening here. It's also happening elsewhere um, in other communities, similar communities around the country. Uh, Roland Mason, I understand there's a specific aspect of this project at the Kebler Winter Trailhead that is unique. And I was wondering if you could quickly describe what makes this uh, project unique, this solution. Sure. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so just in a nutshell, basically the parking lot is located on Forest Service property. Um, typically the Forest Service only allows day use at trailheads. There's really, this is probably one of the most, I think it's unique in the fact that they are they allowed the county to create 45 spaces of parking for specifically for um, residential parking. So the public is actually not allowed to park in those parking spaces. And that right there is what makes this uh, a unique relationship. The Forest Service recognizes that Kebler Pass is a unique trailhead. It has, um, I think there's about up to maybe 28 people now living up at Irwin, which about nine or 10 years ago, I think there was six. <laughs> so we have an increase in people that are that are living there that needing and, and are basically working in Crested Butte. So they're sledding down, jumping in their cars, driving back, um, back and forth. And then, then you also have the day use. Um, you also have outfitters that are permitted by the Forest Service. So you have uh, business, you have day users, and then you have residents all trying to use a very small, in the whole scheme of things, it's a very limited amount of space, if you will. And what we're trying to do, this isn't gonna be the overall fix, this parking space that we've created, but what we're trying to do is basically make it so that we can get through the next year or couple years and really figure out a long-term plan for residents for a better plan for day use in general and a place for the outfitters so they're not all kind of meshing together. Yeah, and, and, and just chiming in from the avalanche side of it, I mean, the Kebler Pass corridor is a fairly hazardous corridor that is on our radars quite often um, to warn the residents, the users, and the uh, businesses about. 
Um, in some cases, some businesses shut down operation when we list the danger as high or extreme. So, um, you know, and this goes back to even the, you know, the 1800s when the, the train was swept off the tracks at the Splains Gulch zone by the Seven Sisters slide path. So, yeah, not only is it complicated from a human perspective, it's also complicated from the avalanche side of things as well. So. Ian, we're going to have to have you back on at some point to tell me the story behind that because that sounds like a great story. <laughs> yeah, Dwayne on. Same thing. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, how many avalanches do you have memorized? <laughs> as many as I can. <laughs> Christopher, just really quick, just to tag onto that, that's one of the main reasons why there isn't plowing up to the Y. Sure, yeah. There's at least three danger, really. I'd say pretty dangerous slide paths yeah. between between where it is now and the Y. And that's that's gonna be a major issue and it's gonna be a major expense if plowing were to ever go that far. Yeah. Like Great. As far as mitigation and control. Uh, so County Commissioner Roland Mason, I just want to thank you for coming on the show and talking to us about uh, this this issue of uh, an increase of backcountry usage and for your work on uh, the Kebler Trailhead. Um, thanks for being with us tonight. Yep. Thanks, Christopher. Thanks, Chris. No, you're welcome. And with the two minutes that we have, I do want to throw it to Ian Havlick, and we're going to try to cover two things here. First of all, Ian, I wanted to get into forecast as much as we can because you are, after all, a forecaster. There's snow on the peaks. There's snow uh, in (laughs) the Wonderground forecast. Can you tell us anything about a snow forecast right now? Am I throwing a total curveball at you that you didn't expect? No, (laughs) no. (laughs) Your guess is as good as mine. No, um... Looking at the NOAA, the National Center for Oceanic Atmospheric um, Research, and their weather forecasts and their climatologists are all pointing to equal chances, as much of a cop-out as that is. So El Nino, La Nina, nothing. Yeah, it's a La Nina (laughs) um, oscillation in the Pacific, which means colder water temperatures, which really doesn't do much for us um, (laughs) either way. You can point out to years where it's we've gotten crushed by snow, and you've also point out years we've gotten totally hosed. Sure. Well, um, yeah, as I said, Ian, I, we, we're, we're looking forward to having you on the show to talk more about this. Maybe once we actually get into the winter, we can get yeah, into totally. some real forecasting. Yeah, but but equal chances, dry and warm to uh, wet and snowy. Sure. And, and so with our final minute, uh, Ian, because we want to make sure that people are staying safe in the backcountry, can you talk to us uh, about some of the stuff that the CBAC is doing uh, and some resources for people to learn more. Yep. So number one, uh, cbavalanchecenter.org. Bookmark it, put it in your phone, whatever you got to do, <laughs> check it, check it on a regular basis. Even if you don't plan on going out, there's value in knowing what's going on. Um, next is our virtual avalanche awareness coming up on Friday, December 4th. That's a huge fundraiser for us, as well as just solid night to refresh and gain some knowledge as well as the beacon brush up December 5th over there at the community school in the football fields. Um, and then our first fireside chat is, is going to be December 9th townie books. Great. So um, we can always use those donations as always shameless plug. Um, so visit our website. You can, uh, get a membership online and sure. And that gets you discounts around town and we'll, yeah. So just stay tuned and we will keep you as post as best we can as the avalanche conditions develop. 
All right, Ian Havlick of the Crested Butte Avalanche Center. Thanks for coming on Community Matters tonight. Thank you guys so much. Um, really appreciate it. Have a great evening. And Chris Rourke, my co-host, thanks as always for joining us. Thank you. I'm bookmarking it, Ian. I'm Do it. <laughs> Keep it tuned to KBUT Crested Butte, KGNI Gunnison. It's one minute past 7 p.m. Bobby Digital is in the house. Uh, Bobby's World coming up next.